0: You are the ancient of days. You are the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. All time is in your hands. We thank you for your word, which is also timeless and powerful and true and beautiful because it all points to you, Lord Jesus. Soften our hearts now to receive from you the truth of your word, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. The reading this morning comes from 1 Corinthians, chapter 14, verses 26 to 40. But what then shall we say, brothers and sisters? When you come together, each you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation, Everything must be done so the church may be built up. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two, or at the most three, should speak one at a time, and someone must interpret. If there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. Two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what is said. And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. For you can all prophesy in turn, so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirits of prophets are subject to the control of prophets. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the congregations of the Lord's people. Women should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission, as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their husbands at home, for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. Or did the word of God originate with you? Or are you the only people it has reached? If anyone thinks they are a prophet, or otherwise gifted by the Spirit, let them acknowledge that what I am writing to you is the Lord's command, but if anyone ignores this, they themselves will be ignored. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way.
1: Uh, i think dion had a challenging passage to read last time she was reading too so uh, thank you for reading that there are some very uh challenging verses in this passage aren't there Uh, but what i want to do is pray for us in a moment then I i want us to not miss the big picture of what's going on here so that's what we're going to try and think about this morning let's pray our heavenly father we do thank you we thank you for the precious gift of your word thank you that you haven't left us in the dark lord we pray for ourselves this morning Some of us may um, just be cold in our faith. Please reignite us. Some of us may need encouragement. Please do that. Uh, Some of us may need humbling. Please do that. Uh, Wherever we're at, our Father, we pray that you might continue your good work among us and through us and in us so that the precious gospel of Jesus might continue to be proclaimed and heard powerfully and lived lived out in all its fullness. So we ask your help now in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so as I said, there are some challenging verses here that would have stood out to you. Uh, and if you're visiting with us, uh, this is a good... In one, on one level, it's a good week to come and visit our church uh, because one of our convictions is that the Bible is God's Word And as a church, we read through books of the Bible and we try not, well, we don't skip difficult passages and we don't skip things that perhaps we might feel like skipping otherwise uh, because we believe this is God's good word to us. So that's one of our convictions of the church. So uh, on one level, a a great week to be here with us. Uh, But we do need to see the big picture of what Paul's saying here. Uh, He's talking about this whole issue of order in churches, order in the church, uh, and depending on your background, that could raise all kinds of issues for you. Um, you might be someone who just loves order and neatness, and this is like pushing you know it's like pushing all your good buttons. On the other hand, you might be someone who just loves individuality and free expression, and this is pushing all your bad buttons. Um, maybe you've had bad experiences of over-controlling environments, and you're kind of wary of this talk of order. On the other hand, maybe you've come from a kind of chaotic, unstable backgrounds, and you long for some order (laughs) and some stability. So each of us comes with different experiences, background, assumptions when we're talking about this issue. But what kind of order does Paul talk about here? Just want to reflect briefly on that. There's different kinds of order. Uh, There's like the order of oppression. Okay, so here's a uh, uh, a classic description of uh, depiction of that. The powerful squashing the weak, right? That's one kind of order. Uh, th- uh, there's a popular view today that actually any order, any kind of distinction, any hierarchy is by definition oppressive. That relationships are essentially about power and control. Uh, and so, but but uh, is that what's going on here? Is that the kind of order that's in view here in 1 Corinthians? Well, no, it's not. Um, th- there is another, a different kind of order, though. There's another kind of order that we could talk about, and it's the order of a cemetery. Okay, uh, there's this a great quote I came across by a theologian called J.I. Packer talking about this passage. Uh, he, he says this, The Corinthians' disorders were due to an uncontrolled overflow of Holy Spirit life. Many churches today are orderly simply because they are asleep. And with some, one fears it is the sleep of death. It is no great thing to have order in a cemetery. (laughs) It's it's no great thing to have order in a cemetery, right? So there's, there's, there's that kind of order, the cemetery order. Well, what is God's word talking about here in this passage? What kind of order does God want in the gathering of his people? It's key that we see this, and I think it totally shapes how you receive Paul's instruction here what he says a rightly ordered church is not the order of oppressed and oppressor oppressed and oppressor that's not the order of people having who have power exploiting those underneath them without it Uh, tragically some churches have operated like that but it's an evil distortion of the kind of order god wants so that's not the order that's in view here. And neither is it the graveyard kind of order, right? God doesn't want dead formalism in his church. He doesn't want spiritually comatose people just going through the, the, through the motions. He is the God of the living, not the dead. So it's not cemetery order that's in view here either. Paul has already used, and if you've been here with us through this series, you'll know this, Paul has already used a much richer image in these chapters for us to understand what the church is. It's the image of a body. A body. So we're talking about body order, not body Uh, uh, (laughs) order. I was wondering whether to make that joke or not. I did in the end. Um, Sorry. Uh, But... (laughs) With that picture in mind, it, ha- it really helps us to see what kind of order God has in mind. It's the order of a body. And I think as soon as you see that, it transforms how you read this passage and how you respond to this call to order. Because order in a body is not oppressive, is it? Uh, remember what Paul says, has already said back in chapter two, uh, chapter 12? Sorry, uh, In a body, we are so organically united to one another... That if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part rejoices and is honoured, every part rejoices with it. Order in a body, doesn't, it doesn't cause death, it gives life. It helps the body to do what it is created to do. And you know this, right? Well-ordered bodies are amazing. Uh, you see kind of you know, great feats of, you know, dancers or athletes. A well-ordered body is Incredible. Uh, And what do we, we talk about when things aren't going well in your body? It's a disorder, right? It's a disorder when things are out of whack, where one part of the body is overactive or underactive. It impacts the health of the whole body. God wants his church, the body of Christ, to be ordered in a way that enables the body to grow and flourish and do what he has created it to do. So, Paul has some final words in this section of his letter about how this body, this church, should order themselves, and particularly how they should order when they get together, they should order their public gatherings, like what we're doing today. So, let's have a look. Verse 26. What shall we say, brothers and sisters, when you come together? Now, just pause there. Notice what Paul says. He says, when you come together, not if, uh, and we've seen this before. Uh, the word church just means, what does it mean? Gathering, thank you. It, means, it just means gathering. There is an assumption all through the New Testament that if you're a Christian, you're a gatherer. A gatherer. Um, and when these Christians in Corinth gathered, there was actually something lovely going on. Uh, There's so much that's wrong with this church. It's it's kind of easy to get sort of focused on all of the, the dysfunctions, disorders. But you couldn't say they were passive or kind of spiritually asleep. There was a real vitality to them. Look at the rest of this verse. When you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue or an interpretation. So you get that each person is coming expecting to contribute something. They weren't... Consumers, they were contributors. They, uh, now, there were major issues with how they were going about it, and that's what we're talking about in this passage. They needed to be brought into right order. But there's something lovely about this picture, isn't there? Now, uh, our gatherings look different, don't they? Our, our gatherings look different to this. Um, I think it's important to recognise Paul's not giving like, he's not going on to planning centre online and uh, doing a a template for each service for all churches in every place. He's not giving a service plan outline. What What he's doing, he's describing what's actually going on in Corinth, in this church, where there's probably about 30 or 40 people crammed into someone's living room. You can't operate that way with 150 people in a school auditorium and that's fine. Um, But what we can do is follow the same principle that Paul's talking about here, which he goes on to say. What's his principle? His driving thing, that's driving what he's saying. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. That's really what he's driving at. Everything must be done so that the body, the gathering, the church might be built up. This is the big thing Paul's been hammering home, this whole section. It's what should drive everything that we do. It's what God wants to be in your mind and your hearts. It's what a truly spiritual person longs for, a deep desire and priority in your life, to see your church, to see this church, this gathering built up, edified, strengthened and alongside that desire and eagerness to contribute whatever gifts you have for that end this is the most excellent way isn't it (laughs) what we looked at right in the heart of this section the most excellent way of love that should govern everything we do so really if there's one big thing you take away from these weeks we've been in these chapters it's that. This is the... that's it. If you're in Christ, God wants you to be... What did we look at a couple of weeks ago? God wants you to be a (laughs) bodybuilder. A bodybuilder. To have the building up of Christ's church as a settled, deep priority in your life. Something you pray for, something you give yourself to in whatever way you can. So that's the big principle. And it's not new. We've seen it come up again and again through this section... But friends, when God's Word says something again and again, it's probably because we need to hear it again and again. (laughs) So we're hearing it again today. But what is new in this passage is how Paul applies that principle. What is new is how he applies it. So being a bodybuilder means, what we've already seen, it means prioritising those gifts that build up others, especially with our words. That's why Paul's really... Um, encourage and urge this church to pursue prophecy over tongues within their public gathering. Um, speaking God's word to one another in ways, in intelligible ways, ways that you understand that apply God's truth to the details of our lives. But what Paul adds here in this section, he adds something different. He, what he adds here is that being, this, this being a bodybuilder also means that there are times when the right thing to do is not to use your gift. That's interesting, isn't it? There are times when the right thing to do is not to speak, uh, to submit yourself to a right order in God's church. So the Corinthians had this out of order. It seems like their their gatherings were a chaotic mess. Uh, We already saw that a number of weeks ago when we looked at the Lord's Supper and how, in chapter 11, how they were doing that. So maybe you can picture the scene, about 35-ish people crammed into someone uh, the, the house of Titus Justice, we learn in Acts. Um, so, but you've got the rich members of the church who had already been there for a few hours, eating and drinking a feast in honour of Jesus. At least that's what they told themselves. Uh, they've eaten and drunken a little bit too much, so they stumble into the large kind of atrium area, a little bit tipsy while the poorer ones come in late and hungry. They've just been able to get there when they could get away from their um, their work. Uh, uh, Once most people had arrived, uh, you can kind of picture the scene, Titius Justus welcomes everyone to his house. Maybe they start with a hymn together, during which a a group of them, a small group, are taken over by spiritual fervor and start singing in tongues that no one else understands. Uh, Okay, the hymn finishes. And Phoebe gets up and shares a prophetic message. But she's been going a couple of minutes when Crispus cuts in with his own message and, and sort of they start speaking over each other. Now, it's, it's possible, one theory about what's going on in Corinth, is it's possible that men and women were separated from each other as they would have been in the Jewish synagogue. And maybe after Gaius, uh, uh, Gaius stands up and he, got, he talks over Crispus and Phoebe, but then Gaius' wife pipes up from the other side of the room and says, what do you mean by saying that, Gaius? I don't think you've got that one right. It's not what Apollos taught us. Meanwhile, Chloe has plucked up the courage to bring her ch- friend to church that day, but soon regretted it. And her friend later told her, if this is what is, it's like being a Jesus follower, then she's out. <laughs> she doesn't want to have anything to do with it. Okay, yeah, you know, like, that's just... one attempt to maybe imagine what's going on in this church, but you get the picture, right? This chaotic, disordered gathering. Their gatherings were supposed to build up. They were supposed to build up Christ's people, and they were supposed to lead visitors to an encounter with God as they heard his word clearly proclaimed and applied. Instead, what was happening... Their gatherings were creating division and confusion. Um, outsiders coming in thought they were out of their minds. So, what does Paul do here? How does he help? What does he want to help? How does he help this church, um, this body, heal from its disorders and become a better ordered body? Well, he focuses on these three issues, these three Corinthian disorders. And in each case, the the issue seems to be unrestrained speech. People not really caring about others, but just caring about getting your thoughts out there, your words out there. You kind of get an attitude underlying this of pride, of self-expression, of my right to speak. And Paul's response is the same for all three, actually, of these disorders. In the gathering, a well-ordered body means there are times when you won't speak, when you'll happily stay silent, because the aim is not self-expression. The aim is bodybuilding. The aim is building up Christ's body. So he starts off with the gift of tongues, or sort of think about that um, for a little, for a couple of minutes. Uh, If you missed a couple of weeks ago, though, I would encourage you to go to catch up on that, just to get a better sense, a bigger picture of what Paul's talking about here with tongues and prophecy. We saw then, it's not entirely clear for us what exactly these look like, but let's have a look at what he says in verse 27. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two, or at the most three, should speak, one at a time, and someone must interpret. So before he said, when you gather... Uh, how does he start this? He says, if, if anyone speaks in a tongue. Um, that's significant, that's important for, to get what he's saying. Um, Paul has spent this whole chapter um, sort of downplaying the use of tongues in the public gathering. He doesn't forbid it, and we'll see that later on. It is a gift of the Spirit. But at the same time, remember what he said in the previous passage, in the public gathering... He would rather five intelligible words than 10,000 in a tongue. So, But he does say here, so look, if if you are going to speak in tongues in your public gatherings, here's my instruction. Two, at the most three, and one at a time. Not all together over the top of each other. And that must be interpreted. Uh, notice he, he doesn't say here, speak in tongues and then see if someone can interpret it, I think it's actually stronger than that, especially as you keep reading in verse 28. If there's no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. So this seems to be pretty, I think, pretty clear. Paul's saying in the public gathering, if you can't guarantee an interpretation of tongues, don't even start. Because the purpose of the gathering is not for you to express your gift for your own sake. The purpose is love for others. Building up others. And uninterpreted tongues, Paul seems to say, doesn't do that. In in fact, it can hinder that purpose. Well, what about prophecy? Uh, Paul has a similar instruction as you keep reading verse 29. Two or three prophets should speak. And the others should weigh carefully what is said. And if a revelation comes to someone who's sitting down, the first speaker should stop. So again, this, this right order in the gathering, two or three, one at a time, not, and the same sort of um, thing underlying at the same heart, not insisting on self-expression, but um, happily submitting to one another, the, um, giving the floor to each other. Uh, Notice that this prophecy is to be weighed carefully. Uh, This is one of the places that shows this difference that we looked at a couple of weeks ago, this difference between prophecy in the Old Testament and prophecy in the New Testament. Uh, The Old Testament prophets spoke the very words of God. Uh, New Testament prophecy, it seems pretty clear, has a much lesser authority to it. It's more, here's what I think the Lord might be saying, than, thus saith the Lord. (laughs) And it needs to be tested. It needs to be weighed. Uh, what's it weighed against? You know, What's the kind of counterweight that they're weighing this, this prophecy against? Well, I, I think in Corinth, it would have been weighed against the Old Testament scriptures and the teaching of the apostles that they had received, uh, perhaps through letters like this, or maybe older members of the church who had been directly taught by the apostles themselves. Um, It's just worth reflecting also that what a privileged position you and I are in. Um, We have the sure teaching of the apostles in the Spirit-inspired writings of the New Testament. So we're in actually a much clearer position to say, yes, this is what the Spirit is saying, because we have the Spirit's book right there in our laps, or on our phones, or wherever you read the Bible from but it was vitally important that these prophetic messages were weighed carefully and that they were spoken in an orderly way verse 31 for you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged there's that building up edification goal the spirits of the prophets are subject to the control of prophets now um, I think this this series has been challenging for many of us on a whole range of different levels. For those kind of uh, frozen chosen like me, I, I don't know, uh, the, the, like reformed conservatives, um, it is like it's a it's it's been really helpful, hasn't it, to see the way in which Paul says eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit. Um, for those who come from more charismatic backgrounds this is probably something that's more challenging actually um, it seems so unspiritual right what paul's saying here isn't all this restraint restraining tongues and prophecy isn't it a quenching of the spirit well paul says no in fact what he's saying here is unrestrained chaotic self-expression is actually the very opposite of what God's on about. It might look and feel powerfully spiritual, but it's not of the Holy Spirit of God. And you can know that because of what Paul says next in verse 33. God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. As in all the congregations of the Lord's people, So uh, uh, these principles, I think, apply in whole different, well, all, lots of different ways for us. One that I wanted to particularly focus on and highlight, um, for, I think some of us will need to hear this, particularly in our home group setting, maybe a setting that's a bit closer to what the Corinthian church was sort of like than our Sunday gatherings here. Uh, and particularly, I think this is a word for those of us who are confident in our speech and sort of love to talk. And it might be that you need to be ch- just checked by this word. Um, home group isn't just an opportunity to speak your mind about whatever's going on or whatever you think about the passage. You need to be guided by love, not just self-expression. Uh, this is just a help, one helpful practical thing I wanted to share. Uh, and if you see this in yourself, maybe you could take this on board. Uh, think of the home group discussion as a pie, Okay. Um, and just just ask yourself whether your slice of the pie is in order, you know, uh, or whether you're you're sort of taking three quarters of the pie for yourself. Um, and if that is you, learn to be silent, as Paul instructs here, to give space for others. I, you know, that's sort of my attempt to apply this to a particular circumstance here. So um, do with that what you what you will. But. Uh, so that's tongues and prophecy right this uh, these issues going on in the corinthian church what about these words about men and women in the church that are so out of step with our culture Um, just a few light topics this morning Uh, (laughs) uh, verse 34 women should remain silent in the churches they are not allowed to speak they must be in submission as the law says If they want to inquire about something they should ask their own husbands at home for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church wow they're troubling words aren't they for many uh, particularly in our culture Um, and we need to think carefully about them before i sort of get into it it i do need to say that sometimes verses like these have been used to justify the kind of oppressive order that we looked at at the start that kind of Um, uh, order that oppresses others and builds yourself up um, that is harmful and evil and I'm conscious that there may be some who have uh, some women here particularly who have been hurt by that kind of approach Um, and I just want to acknowledge that but what do we make of this what do we make of this Uh, well one option is just to ignore it Um, that's that's an option Um, But it's not really an option, is it? It's not really an option for faithful Christians. Uh, This is the inspired Word of God, given for our good. And friends, if you only receive things from God that you want to hear, if you only ever receive things from God that already line up with what you already think, then you're not really worshipping the one true and living God who gives life and breath to everything and everyone. You're worshipping a God in your own image. So we dishonour God and we miss out on his good purposes if we have an attitude to the scriptures of we'll just ignore, skip over parts that don't match up with what we already think. So we mustn't do that. We mustn't do that. But what do we make of this? uh we need to read it carefully. Uh, you need to we need to read this in the context of the whole letter and this is really important. Um, it's very important So we've already seen this back in chapter 11. Paul has already talked about and the setting is the public gathering. he's already talked about men and women in the public gathering and back then in chapter 11, uh, he's, assumed and commended men and women in different speaking roles in the church, so in prophesying and in praying. He said, you you do it as men and women, respectful of those differences and honouring God's good design. Um, that, That was the message back in chapter 11. But the assumption is that both men and women will be praying and prophesying in church. So, Paul's not an idiot, right? Like, he, he he hasn't got to this point in his letter and totally forgot everything he's, he's written beforehand. He clearly also, if you... He clearly has a really high value on the ministry of both men and women in the church. You get a glimpse of that, or I think in lots of places. One really, really strong place you see that is the end of the Book of Romans, his letter to the Romans. You can, flick, you can just kind of flick through there in your own time where he lists... Um uh, he, uh, uh, he lists all these women who were co-workers in the gospel with him and, and who for whom he has the highest regard and love. Um, so I don't think we can write Paul off as um, a misogynist. So this can't mean that women aren't allowed to contribute in the church. I think that, I think that's clear actually, if you read all of 1 Corinthians, it can't mean, Women shouldn't have any significant upfront roles, like prophesying or praying. Um, I take it, things like leading in the gathering, um, giving a testimony, leading a ministry team at church, leading a home group discussion. There's lots of sort of conversations to have around all of those, but Paul's already been clear um, about the place of women prophesying and praying in the public gathering. So that's the first point. So what does this mean? Um, Well I think, so that's the larger context of these verses, I think it's also really helpful to look at the closer context, the the, the paragraph that it's in basically, to see what he's saying. Uh, It's important to see, read this in the light of what Paul's talking about in this section. What's he talking about? It's all about, or this particular section is all about prophecy and the weighing of prophecy. Now, there's lots of debate about this. Um, I think there's two kind of main possible plausible reasons uh, readings. Um, One is that perhaps there was a situation in the church where a husband was prophesying, kind of like my imagined story before. (laughs) A husband is prophesying and his wife might publicly shame him by harshly questioning him or commenting negatively about what he'd said. And Paul says in that context, a wife should be silent because not only is that not edifying, it undermines God's good design for the relationship of husband and wife. Um, So that's one possible, I think, plausible reading. Another one is, is actually where I kind of lean towards. I think it's probably the best way to understand this. Um, Paul's talking here about the weighing up of what a prophet says. This is, uh, I think this is the best way to understand what's going on. This is the context, so prophecy and the others should weigh what is said. Uh, I think he's talking about discerning the which way a church responds to that message that a prophet might give. So sometimes, I think often prophecy is that more personal one-to-one ministry, Uh, Sometimes it might be a more corporate thing, someone bringing a message for the whole church. Uh, And in that context, God's right order is for the male leaders of the church to take responsibility for that task of weighing that prophecy Uh, and kind of making the final call about which way to go on that. so it's a, I think it's a specific restriction in view that flows out of God's good design for men and women in family and in the church. Um, and it's in line, actually, with what Paul's saying in this whole section. Just like with tongues speaking and prophecy, there are times when the way of love, the way of build, bodybuilding, is to be silent. Uh, to submit yourself to God's good order for the building up of his church. Now, I I know that leaves lots of unanswered questions. Um, uh, If you weren't here when we looked at this in chapter 11, I'd encourage you to maybe go back and have a listen to that sermon as well, uh, which will go into a bit more depth about these kind of issues. Uh, Happy to chat more afterwards as well about any of that. Uh, We need to read it carefully, but we need to read it confidently and submissively and humbly, don't we? Because this is the Lord's Word. Um, And we ignore it at our peril. That's how Paul wraps up this paragraph. Verse 36. Or did the word of God originate with you? Or are you the only people it has reached? If anyone thinks they are a prophet or otherwise gifted by the Spirit, let them acknowledge that what I'm writing to you is the Lord's command. But if anyone ignores this, they will themselves be ignored. So um, Paul wants them and us to have this firm in our minds. It's not just his opinion. Uh, This does come from God himself. Uh, He finishes the whole section with his summary in verse 39. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy, and do not forbid the speaking in tongues. But, here it is again, everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. Well, what do we make of all this? I've tried to give some uh, sort of thoughts along the way, but what I want to do now, as we kind of wrap up today, but also wrap up this whole section from chapter 11 through to chapter 14. Next week we change gears into chapter 15. I'm so really looking forward to that. Uh, but what do we? Uh, what I want to do is make, pull back and make a couple of comments, actually flowing out of this whole section uh, for us to reflect on and to take home with, to go home with. Uh, God wants His church. The gathering of people united to Christ. God wants us. God wants us here together, Use all, us all. He wants his church to be a beautiful, well-ordered body. A body that is freed up to be everything that God wants it to be. A body that isn't divided by some saying, I don't belong, and all by others saying, you don't belong. Remember that from a few weeks back? He wants it to be a body where there is a beautiful and wide diversity of gifts being used for God's glory and the building up of his church, the good of others. He he wants it to be more than anything a body with a, whose beating heart is love. Whose beating heart is love. A body that runs after love, remember that? Runs after love with dogged determination as we gather together. A body that deeply depends on God. A body that eagerly desires the gifts of God's Spirit. A body that knows that without the, new, the renewing Spirit of God, we are lifeless and dead. That's the kind of body God is building. And friends, receiving that, this picture from the last few weeks, receiving and in the power of God's Spirit, depending on him, prayerfully pursuing that vision, living it out together, I think holds out an incredible hope and promise for us today, and particularly in our place and time. Um, I came across this research during the week, sort of just popped up on uh, something I was looking at Um you might not be able to... You probably can't make it out. Uh, our society is in a loneliness epidemic. This is just a slice of information, but it points to a larger reality. So the, the graph you can see there is that over a period of 10 years, uh, between, I think it's 2006 oh, and 2017, as is teenagers in America, so, like I said, just a slice, but it points to a deeper reality that all of us are experiencing, I think. Over a period of 10 years... Um, the 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 line that's plummeting is in-person social interaction so that's interesting isn't it in person and the lines that are going up well two of them are the internet and social media and what else went up at exactly the same time loneliness loneliness we are made for relationships and friends that the church holds the incredible promise of plugging you into the kind of rich relationships you were made for a body to give yourself to and to receive from and in this this time with in our particular moment with the challenges that we face that many of us are so aware of This body of Christ is a bright light on a hill. It really is. If you're not a Christian yet, you are welcome in to be reconnected by faith in Jesus Christ, to be reordered by the God who made you and who loves you. And if you are a Christian, for the sake of God's honour and glory, for the sake of a lost world, for the sake of generations growing up, Today, for the sake of your own soul be a body builder give yourself to Christ's body here as Christ has given given himself for you for the glory of God and the salvation of many let me pray now God we've looked at um, big and important things today we pray please for your help To put these into practice may we not just be hearers of the word but doers our father we thank you for this beautiful image over these last chapters uh, of your body being powerfully um, built up and at work thank you that you uh, you give us wonderful gifts Uh, thank you that you are building your church lord we i pray for each of us today um wherever we're at that you might please work within us by your Spirit. Help us to see the beauty and glory and wonder and truthfulness of the Gospel, the beauty and glory and wonder and truthfulness of what you are doing in your body, the Church. Please lift our eyes to that, and may we be that light on a hill, we pray, in a lonely world to hold out Christ and all of his benefits, and we pray for his glory. Amen.